My guest today is the amazing, sublime uh, Jane Monheit. Jane, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm. I'm. I was saying earlier. I'm. I'm beyond. I'm sort of outside of my body at this moment because I can't believe you're like I'm actually talking to you. But I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm so thrilled. I hope to do uh, this interview justice by not fangirling out too terribly. <laughs> There will be there will be some of that. I apologize, but I'm going to try to keep it all like you know up and up and and everything. So, welcome. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, mostly. I want to talk to you about your new album. <clears throat> um, before that, I just want to get a little background and stuff. And I know that you've done in interviews before about your background and where you come from, but I wanted to just sort of talk to you briefly about that. And um, my my main question to you, honest to God, is. How does a white girl from Long Island learn how to sing and scat, especially like you do? From listening to records. From listening really? to records. That's how we all start. That's how we all start is listening to records. Yeah. And, uh, you know, luckily I came from a family that had, you know, incredible taste in music and a fabulous record collection amongst them. and you know, just let me have at it with music from the time I was tiny. So yeah. Amazing. And your father is a, is a bluegrass musician, right? <clears throat> yeah, not professionally, although he could have gone that road if he wanted to. He mm -hmm. He's, you know, a retired like business guy, you know what I mean? But he uh, was a brilliant musician and just would come home from work and practice for hours, you know. Oh man, what instruments do, does he play? Banjo and guitar. Have you ever thought about, I know that, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit later, but, you know, about the major sort of uh, genre of music that you cover is like the American songbook and jazz, specifically jazz covering American songbook. Have you ever thought about doing like a bluegrass music? Like maybe have your dad, you know, do some banjo and guitar on that? I don't have know. You <laughs> he oh he talks about it you oh, know? Really? really oh that's oh, awesome yeah. he'll be like so when are we doing a thing and i'll be like dad chill you know what i mean like i have no idea but you know it's a it's a you know in jazz we cross over like crazy right um exactly. we love our right. other genres of music and we keep them close so right. um it's totally possible that i would do some sort of bluegrassy business in the future <sighs> definitely i just have no idea okay, i'm texting dolly parton right now just hold on one second <laughs> Um, no, no, seriously, listen, how do you, how do you, um, <clears throat> if you were to write a bio of yourself, you know, or like, like on a playbill or something like that, which by the way, Broadway isn't really pushing ahead for you, but how would you categorize your style of, of vocalization? You know, are you a jazz singer? Are you a standards? I mean, I don't even know if that's a standard, but that's a word of the kinds of music that you do. Are I mean, you a jazz singer? Are you a pop singer? Because I don't see you as pop, but but again, there's crossover and stuff. And so I'm curious how you would 
you yourself would term what you do? You know, honestly, you know, when you look at the term like traditional pop, where like your Franks and your Ella Fitzgeralds and your, you know, your Barbra Streisands and everybody hang out. Right. That's really probably where I live most of all. But, you know, I've worked with jazz musicians. I value, I have jazz values. Do you know right, what I mean? Right, like I've been right. swinging before anything. Right, right. If it's not grooving, it's not happening. Do you right, know what I mean? Right. If you look at the the accompanists and the, the people that I work with, I work with the best jazz musicians. You know what I mean? Right. So, but then I apply more than those values to my singing and I let a whole lot of theatrical stuff in around the edges. Right, exactly. Know? So I think probably, yeah, that sort of like traditional pop category is probably where I most comfortably hang out. Okay. It's still cool. a Grammy category. So, you know, well, well, fingers crossed girl. Uh, that's my fingers and toes. Oh, okay. So I want to, I want to like back up a second and um, you and I have been sort of conversing on, on Instagram for a while. And um, I wrote you this story um, story, this like little blurb about how I discovered you. Like I'm not, you know, a record producer, but, how I heard about you for the first time. And, and I've since I thought about this, you know, for this interview, and I think I said, like, it was like in the late 80s, but it was actually in the mid 90s. And so I was living in the West Village, and my boyfriend at the time and I had gone to a party in it. And, and as we were walking home, I said, let's pop into 88s. That awesome. Oh, my God, 88s? <clears throat> 88s, yeah. Yes, Remember 88s? 88s? The best. Yes. <clears throat> of course. Oh. And and we walk in and what would normally sound like a cringy sort of thing for me is like oh it's open mic night at a at a piano bar you know what i mean oh yeah and i'm gay and like i i still like those things are like "Mm." but this place (laughs) was different you know like one time i went there and fucking liza minnelli showed up oh yeah 88s was special oh my god it was very special yeah the level of talent in there was insane i know i know well poison uh case and point so my boyfriend and I are there, we get a drink at the bar and they announce, you know, each person they announce and the person goes up and sings and they're, they're all good. And then they announce you. Um, and this is again, this, I don't know, 93, 94 or whatever like that. Oh, I would have been like in college, like 17 years old, like in their way underage. Yeah, definitely. But that's what I mean. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure it was you because I like, nobody yeah. sounds like you. Right. And so they announce your name and I, I like tapped my boyfriend on the shoulder and said, when they announced your name, I looked at you and the way you stood up and you had this like presence <laughs> immediately and you walked oh to the stage. And I said to my boyfriend, I swear to God, Jane, I'm not, I'm not shitting you. I said, watch this, watch her, listen to her. She's going to be good. <laughs> you could just tell like the way you carried yourself. At, and I know that you were like in, you know, 17, yeah. 18, whatever. Yeah. And then you open your mouth. And it just, it, you know what, I, I felt like one of those queens in like the 60s and a bonsoir listening to Barbara Streisand before anyone knew who she was. That's what it <laughs> felt like to me. I'm, I'm not, I, seriously. So, okay, that's the little fangirl. I'm going to get that out of my system. Aww. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. And that place was so, so special to me. 
because so I mean, I was, I was always in their way underage. Everyone just sort of looked the other way because I was a good musician and they mm -hmm. knew I was there to hear the music. I wasn't there to be like trying to get drunk or anything like that. I was there right. for right. the music, you know? Right. So that, you know, I think everyone, I also looked really old for my age back then. Like I, when I was in college, I looked like I was 35 years old. I did, you know what I mean? Well, so I, I was you able look, to. You didn't of... look old, girl. You looked beautiful, like you do now at this oh, point. Oh, thank you. Honestly, you looked you looked like you were there. You know what I mean? Like you were you were fully formed, and not just the way you looked, but but the way you sounded. And and one of the questions I also have for you is, and so there's a section later on in the interview that, um, of course, when I when I found out that we we're going to do this, I would like test all my gay friends with. Um, Ask, I'm interviewing Jane. Oh my God! Oh my God! Um, <laughs> tell me, like, like, send me questions that you would want me to ask her. And one of the main questions was, um, how, as, how do you, how have you maintained your vocal cords? Honestly, not just the way you look, but which you know, gorgeous. But oh, you're so how, how have you sound? How, how, you sound the same that you did then in the in the mid 90s that you do now you know what i mean like what do you do like as a singer i, I can't imagine the kinds of care that you have to to do to your voice and your body and your spirit you know what it is really for me it's as simple as just uh staying really really healthy like I just take care of my body really well. Like for me, the number one thing that I do not mess with, well, two, the, the top two, like don't mess with me on these things are sleep and nutrition. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, sleep is like hugely important to me and, and really for any singer and nutrition I found, you know, that's for me staying anti-inflammatory is you know, oh, okay. really, really great for me and allows me to be in like amazing vocal health that I can maintain like really pretty easily as long as I stick to that. The second I start eating stuff that isn't right for me, I can feel it in my voice. You like know? what? Tell me what. Well, anything, I don't know if I like, I don't really eat greens or dairy, but like if I start like cheating and eating that kind of stuff, I can tell, you know what I mean? But forget about it with sleep. And then it's like, you know, even when I'm speaking, I'm considering my vocal technique. I'm never leaving that kind of thing behind. Um, every sound that comes out of my face is a healthy sound, you know? Yeah, that's so awesome, man. I, I, you know, to that point, I, I didn't, I haven't had dairy in a while. And I've been like shockingly in love with oat milk lately. Um, but I didn't even have that today because I wanted to, you know, like, I'm thinking like talking to a vocalist and like, you know, I can't be all like grovelly and shit. So, um, all right. So, um, I want to talk about your work for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, you've recorded 12 albums, 12 studio albums, and I want to like, if you could just name one or two of the highlights of that, of, of what album was special to you um, in those 12 albums? Like you've been working for a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were all special in different ways. The first one really was very, very special because it was the first. I know a place 
place where dreams are born and time is never planned it's not on any chart you must find it with your heart never never land it might be miles beyond the road or right but honestly the the one that i had the most fun making you know i mean there were certain ones like okay taking a chance on love and surrender they were the biggest and most expensive and the most you know exciting mm-hmm. and then there was the heart of the matter, which I was the most like emotionally attached to. You know, uh, the first one I learned so much and you know, all these different experiences, but honestly, the most fun I ever had making a record, the easiest it ever was, the greatest it ever felt was this new one. Okay, okay, good, okay. Oh, yeah. listen, I have a million questions about this new album. Like, <laughs> I broke down each song and stuff and I've been listening to it nonstop for for weeks and weeks Aww, now. And there's, there's like a million things I wanna to talk to you about, but you did you did mention in an in interview that I read and that you just mentioned that the heart of the matter was the most emotionally uh, I don't say fraught, but it was there was a lot of emotion to that. Can you talk to that a little bit? That that album was very much about motherhood and my child. Uh, um, I can think of at least four or five tunes off that record that are just directly related to my son. Um, including the one that I wrote. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, and it was a, a tough time. Like it was sort of like letting go of his babyhood and realizing he was going to grow up. It was sort of processing that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and at the time he was like, he had broken his arm and needed surgery and like was in surgery like the day before we went into the studio. And it was just like, it was just crazy. That whole record was just all about him in such a huge way. There's even a song from like a Pixar film on it, you know. When somebody loved me, everything was beautiful. Every hour we spend together lives within my heart. And when she was sad, I was there to dry her tears and when she was happy so was I when she loved me through the summer and the fall we had each other it was all just she and I together like it was meant to be You know, and I know that you've been asked this a number of times. Um, you basically were sort of dumped off into New York City. You grew up on, on Long Island and you said you had lots of access and you went to shows and concerts and shopping <laughs> and all that stuff. But you did find yourself sort of like, oh my gosh, I'm here now. And I'm yeah. like, what, 17? Like alone 17. in New York City. Like, Well, I was in college, so I had that like umbrella right, right, of right. safety. Right. You know what I mean? So I was I wasn't like alone alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like I had like 
kids, other kids and teachers and, you know, so I have that, but yeah, it was like all of a sudden, holy cow, I'm here, you know, and I had older friends who had already lived there for a year or two. And so it was really nice. Oh, that's awesome. And and you mentioned something also like that, you know, I look at my 11 year old son and I think like, this is what I did at 17 and holy shit, like it it just, you know, sort of adds to the whole kind Mm -hmm. of like very special thing that, that, I love your parents for doing this, honestly, because, you know, we wouldn't have you here if they didn't, I think, you know? Yeah. No, they were incredibly supportive and were like, yes, of course you can go to a conservatory and, you know, all of that, you know, yeah, they were, they were very supportive always. So what was, so what was the Manhattan School of Music like? I mean, that's like a veneered place in the history of music, uh, you know, in this country, especially um for musicians um what was that like being there i have a really good friend that went to Matt that taught at manis and and the whole thing is like kind of music war you know yeah you know it was great going there mostly because i instantly found a community okay um and that was really really cool um you know i i'm i'm still really close with a whole bunch of my college friends like we are we still work together Awesome. You know what I mean? All the time I'm that I met my husband in college. You know what I mean? Right, so many right. of the music, the guitar player on my new record is one of my college buddies. You know what I mean? So it like it Amazing. we really have, you know, stayed together. But it yeah, it it allowed me to instantly have this like safety net of people where it was like we could go out to the clubs, we could go hear music, right. we could, you right. know, go sit in places, we could do all of these things because we had each other and we could be brave. Awesome. You know, and, oh and we God. learned so much together. It was amazing. That's you know, I honestly don't think that that would happen in 2020. I don't like what you went through and and the sort of freedom that you had to to explore. I mean, maybe it does. I don't know. I, I I've so. never I, it's just fantastic. So I want to take a little break now and play some tracks that I think are just that everybody should hear. So I know a place where dreams are born and time is never planned. It's not on any chart You must find it with your heart Never, never land It might be miles beyond the road Or right there where you stand Just have an open mind And then suddenly you'll find I should go without sleeping Strangely enough, I sleep well Except for a dream or two But then I can't get my sheep well Funny how sheep can't long to sleep But I should care I should let it off second dream 
but it just doesn't get me maybe i won't find someone as lovely as you so Sorry, I'm just gathering myself. So, pure imagination. <laughs> I know this. Is, I, Thank you, honey. Hi, husband. This is my husband bringing. Can you say hello? Scott, Rick, Rick, Scott. Hey, hi, up? Rick. <laughs> nice tattoo. He's so sweet. Brought me tea I and a cool Star Wars mug because he's awesome. Oh, <laughs> I want to talk to you about him as well. The music that I'm that I that I played that I wanted to talk to you briefly about. Um, pure imagination. Tell me about that. Like, what? How did that happen? Because holy shit, the the arrangement is is lunacy. I it's... know the arrangement's insane. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's one of the ones Vince Mendoza arranged that, okay. and he had he got two Grammy nominations for arranging for my albums. Those are the two nominations that like I have. Everyone's like Grammy nominated artist Jane Monet, but they're technically not mine. They're technically Vince's nominations. Well, nothing um, against Vince, but why is that the case? Like, why are you not Grammy-nominated? Why are you not nominated for a Grammy? You of all people. I just never have been, you know, yet, and maybe I will be someday. But even if I don't, it's okay. I mean, I know, you know, know what I mean. It's like, I know. Here's the thing. Like, this life has been absolutely amazing i don't need anybody to give me a statue it would just get dusty it would get cat hair on it instantly in my house like, <laughs> you know what i mean like, it would, you know what I mean? like yeah, yeah yeah a chihuahua like a blind senior chihuahua would knock it over like that's what <gasps> would happen in my house <laughs> i know that, that's how like, my house rolls one of the but, things that, that that i learned about you when i was doing research is how dedicated you are to animal rescue yeah um which 
we have two cats here you might see coming up i just saw one of them it's really cute we have two and they're both rescues and Aww. um they're just you know i can't imagine life without them it's amazing and and yeah. rescue is like a really important thing um especially with someone like your you know sort of um visibility is really important to talk about so thank you for for that well you know it means a lot to me and and especially like specifically like senior rescue too, mm, you know what mm, i mean like mm -hmm. that's the thing like senior animals are so neglected and they make amazing rescues it's like they come into your home they're already trained they're mellow right, right, they don't right. need, they don't have a ton of energy they're not going to destroy your furniture or chew up a shoe not, <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you know it's like you get this like turnkey pet but it's <laughs> like you know imagine like living out your golden years in a cage. I mean, it's just terrible. Oh, I know, you know I, mean? I know. So both my dogs are senior rescues. My cats came into my life as cats do. One, I don't know how old either one of them are. You know, like, you know right. like, they both came in from outside. You know, oh, right, places. oh, cool, yeah. cool. One on Long Island and one in upstate New York. Ah. But, uh, parents, nice. both sets of parents are each responsible for a cat Right. But, um, but yeah, the dogs are both senior rescues and, uh, yeah, they're awesome. They're the greatest. And they're so, you know, you'd never know they were seniors. They're so, so, so happy to just be in a home that, that's, you know, that's they act like Tito. puppies. Oh, hi. Tito, Tito, his name, his name is, um, officially Tito Le Pod Shot. So he's like <laughs> the, the mascot for the podcast. I love it. He's looking at whatever. And then we have a new rescue, Margot, Margot Channing girl, because she's like all about, you know, boss. She, when we introduced her to the house, she immediately took over and she's like alpha cat. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, Betty Davis is Margot Channing and he's <laughs> Eve Harrington. And so like, don't, don't fuck with me. Cause you know. <laughs> So in all the research and all the the hours that I've spent listening to you, and I, I sort of thought I had a handle on, you know, your vocal style, the sort of song choices you do, but I have to admit, I, I, I'm not the big Ella Fitzgerald aficionado. And then I listened to um, Ill Winds, Another thing is, you know, in all of the arrangements that I've 
sung to over the years and stuff and had written for me and all of that, there's always sort of a lot of imagery for me, whatever reason. Mm. I don't know. I tend to visualize things in all kinds of weird ways. Mm. You know, we're all nuts. We're artists. And, you know, I had just a lot of, you know, very sort of stormy imagery in my head for that one. And you can very much hear it in the track. Absolutely. And I mean, Nicholas Payton made that happen. Yeah, it's it, it's so, um, you know, again, um, I I think I wrote like, I thought I knew you and then I heard this and <laughs> it, it just kind of blew my mind because it, it was, I mean, it was expertly done, obviously. Um, and so, but it just, it kind of like, which is so exciting when you, when you, love an artist and, and love their work and then you hear something like like not that your stuff is all the same but it's always beautiful and 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 it has this sort of um effortless uh layering of sonic sounds and instrumentation and arrangement and then you hear this and it's like holy shit, i didn't i just didn't see it coming in and i'm glad you did it and so one of the the, the segue to that is i want to know i'd love to know um when you embark on a new album or a new concert and you and you're doing a song that you've never done before um how do you what is the process like with you and your band about how to arrange stuff and um especially because a lot of the stuff that you do is like standards and stuff yeah. that has been covered a million times but you've never I, I i swear to god like nothing that you've ever done sounds like what it sounded like before like that just amazes me honestly how how, how does that work well you know um i choose the tunes and then mm. you know i i uh Okay. We'll give them to someone to arrange. I have a few different musicians in my life who write arrangements for me. And I always, you know, match the right song to the right guy. You know, certain tunes, it's just like, oh, that one's going to be Michael Kanan. That one's going to be Neil Minor. There's no buts about it. Awesome. Like, do you know what I mean? Between the two of them, they're my my pianist and bass player on the East Coast and on all the albums. And although Neil didn't make it out to record uh, the new album because of the pandemic, but he plays huh. and everything else. But um yeah i always split everything between those guys and i always know exactly what's going to each dude because they're <laughs> they're just their styles are so different but yeah i always give them loads of direction really tell them what the story's about to me personally Perfect, um, perfect yeah. tempos and keys and all that kind of stuff so you know i have a lot of involvement in it that's that's you answered a, like about five questions that i had for you so <laughs> <laughs> So there's there's a there's a question on so let's I, I just want to sort of skip well one thing I want to talk to you about and I want to talk about come what may motherhood so um, how ha, there's three questions how has it changed your career in terms of like touring specifically how has it informed your interpretation of music because now you have a child. And also, like honestly, how how has it changed your vocal cords? Well, I you know it they're fine now, but it sure damaged them at the beginning. Um, oh, did it? Oh, I, tell me, tell I me. I sang through my whole pregnancy. 
with Jack, I toured um, nonstop and I was singing on inflamed chords, which I shouldn't have been doing. I didn't know that at the time. And uh, yeah, and I damaged them, but I'm fine now. I, you know, I'm completely fine. I had all kinds of great rehabilitation and stuff. So I'm totally good. But, um, you know, whenever you, you know, if there's more love in your life, there's more to sing about. So of course, you know, having a kid has given me way more to sing about. I mean, the, that album, The Heart of the Matter is just all about that. there's more to sing about that's beautiful well it's true i mean it's you know a good reason to rescue senior dogs too <laughs> right right exactly i mean well that, but, that's the yeah. beauty of it it can apply to literally anything in anyone's life okay so let's talk about the new album come what may um i have a million questions for this album and a bunch for each song but i but i really wanted to uh start off sort of big picture you know um i assume that when an artist makes an album that the order of songs are really important yes in terms of like tone and happy sad and sad sad and whatever can you talk to me about like how you chose the songs and then how you order them in such a way because it's so beautifully layered it's like this giant layer cake of all these things thank you for noticing because i love the sequence on this record actually oh cool um normally the sequence on one of my albums is something that like for some reason everybody argues about and it's always like a thing like i don't know everyone always has different ideas about it but this album i was just like this is what it is and everybody said okay that's great and it was really easy awesome but um i chose the songs because this was very it's sort of like there there are kind of multiple themes to this record um Mm. and 
it didn't start out that way. Um, you know, I was originally going to be making this album of tunes that I'd been sort of like waiting to sing that I was finally mature enough to sing. And so you see a whole bunch of those on the record. You see Lush Life, Life and When a Woman Loves a Man. And Dude, my oh my God. Ah! Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm doing it again. I'm, I'm fangirling. I'm sorry about like, oh, no, okay. it's so awesome. Sorry, sorry, go on, go on, go on. Oh. And, um, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the man that got away, but, um, right, right. then the pandemic happened and I couldn't resist throwing in number one, some tunes just about how much I miss traveling, which is, you know, let's take a walk around the block in San Luvio. Right, and right, then right. just some uplifting moments, like I believe in you and the sunny side of the street medley. So, you know, um, so it ended up being sort of like a three track thing, but the ultimate thing that connects all the songs is that it was all material that we could just jump into the studio and record in two days with no rehearsal. I'm serious. We had to make a record during the pandemic. We couldn't spend time together. We had to like do this as quickly as possible. So, you know, we all tested and quarantined, made the whole darn thing in two days. And this was all material that we had played so much on the road. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Cause I was so like, hold up, hold up. Like, you're telling me that these songs that you answered my question, but I, but I have to, I just have to verbalize this. So you did all this stuff with no rehearsal. Like, no are rehearsal. you kidding? Because, well, because but you've done it so many we times. Played them on the road. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So they were all sort of nice and road worn. Um, and, uh, yeah, then we went in and made the record. That is brilliant. Okay. So I want, I, I'm going to go out of order because I have to go. I have to talk to you about Lush Life. Come what may places Where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life To get the feel of life From jazz and cocktails The girls I knew had sat in sullen gray faces With distant gay traces That used to be there you could see where they'd been washed away With your siren song to tempt me to madness. I thought for a while that your poignant smile was tinged with the sadness of a great love for me. Ah, yes, I was wrong. I was wrong Life is lonely again While only last year Everything seems so sure Now life is awful a truffle of hearts could only be a boy. 
So, um, in 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 doing research for this, um, I looked up Billy Strayhorn, you know, and mm -hmm. learned that he was a, a black gay man. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm a white gay man, and so I've always loved this song. And I have to tell you, I, I swear to you, Jane Monheit, 
as I live and breathe. I've heard the song forever, you know, Linda Ronstadt with Nelson Riddle and, and a million other artists and stuff. And it never really, I mean, it was always like nice, you know, I didn't really, it never hit me with your version. I swear to God, it was like, hit me so hard. And I texted you this, like, it was like, oh my God, your reading of the song is like, I've never, I've never known it before. And then I did research on top of all of, you know, just listening to it, learning about the life of Billy Strayhorn as a black gay man. And so I want to, I want to talk to you about the very first, um, I used to visit all the very gay places, those come up may places, um, where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life to get the feel of life from jazz and cocktails. I have been in that, and all of the gay men I know, and probably straight people, I'm not excluding them, but as a gay person, I have been in that situation a billion times. And so, when I learned about him, oh guys, I, I, it's very emotional. When I learned about him and did the research, um, it was like, and I've read critiques about this and I'm like, no, he's much broader than that. Like, are you a gay person critiquing the song? Because as a gay person, I know for a fact, that's what he meant. He put it in the first line. It's not in the 20s where you said gay places could have been like, oh, they're happy, you know. It was like in the 50s or whatever, 30s. I just went off. I'm sorry. I just want, I just really want to talk to you about the song because well, it's, it's important just... because people don't realize, they don't know these things about Billy Strayhorn and they don't know that he was a teenager when he wrote the tune either. Oh my God, you right? I mean, he was a teenager, you know, and still, you know, all of us vocalists today are so very careful with this piece of music. We don't treat it like a teenager wrote it. We don't treat it, treat it like it's the work of some kid. We, right, we treat this, course. you know, like the high art that it is. And uh, I didn't start singing the tune till I was in my forties. Okay, I want to talk to you about that. Like specifically about that because um, Blossom Deary, um, like on her recording in, in the 50s or 60s, I, I couldn't get the exact date somehow. She said it took her 11 years to learn because it's difficult to play and even harder to sing. And so I wanted to talk to you about that, um, specifically this song. And is that the intervals or what is it about this song that's so difficult? Well, there are a lot of sort of tight little chromatic passages and you know it's really important to get them right really important to get them right you know what i mean this is the melody that billy strayhorn wrote like when i recorded the tune even though i've known it my whole life i had the original sheet music in front of me in the studio just to make sure i would nail all those little chromatic passages can you can you sorry can you explain for us well, just, I, like i mean like Passage. Like a series of notes that are very tightly clustered together oh, in the scale. Okay, you okay, know what I mean? Okay. You know, there's all kinds of little um, little rubs, you know, in the tune. And okay. uh, and it's important to honor them and get them right because they're part of the story he was trying to tell, you know? 
Don't improvise on a tune if you can't sing the melody. Oh my god. Okay. So okay, another another. Oh, I I I love that I'm talking to you right now. Um, <laughs> I I swear to God, I'm I'm serious. And so one of one of the big questions I have for you that sort of overlays all of this is, um, the little bit that I know about singing, and, um, music theory. Uh, this actually isn't really music theory, it's, it, it's vocal theory, I suppose. Um, you have this way of um, phrasing that, that the, only, the only cognate that I know of is, is Barbara Streisand, where she was sort of, she, you know, so you sing a word and you blend the second syllable into the first syllable of the next word. And oh it's yeah, really, it's like singing really through a phrase without, yeah, without, yeah. But do you, so, okay, so I know that you went to, to a really good school for music, but forgive me for, or, or correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I sort of feel like you can't really teach that. Like you no, can teach yeah. someone music, but you can't really teach somebody feeling and how to <laughs> emote a song. Yeah, no, I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can encourage it. Um, Cause I teach now too, but yeah, certain things are just innate. That and swinging, you can't teach someone to swing. Right, right, right. They either do or they don't. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't, that's just, it's not. I've talked to my husband who's a drummer about this endlessly, mm, you know, mm. like how, how do we put this into words? How do we communicate this to a student? And, you know, we don't know how to do it, but, but yeah. Um, yeah, and your um, husband yeah. was on the road with you for for years, right? And yeah, and they sort of decided years. to like have somebody take care of of your son, and and so. Well, he was I, on the road with us too. We had our right. son all over the world with us until he was almost nine and homeschooled him everywhere. Oh, so awesome. And then at that point, it was getting to be homeschooling was getting to be too difficult for everyone because he was in like third grade, and it was like the material was getting to be. He was doing fourth grade work and it was just getting to be too much. Um, so we settled down in Los Angeles um, mm. where he goes to this amazing little tiny, tiny school. And uh, my husband stays home with him and I go on the road, which is terrible. I hate leaving them, but it's just sort of what we have to do until Jack finishes school. I bet. Yeah. What's it like being back on the road? It must be in some ways liberating. I've only had two road gigs back and they've, they both were weird, but awesome. You know what, what I mean? What in Vegas very, and, right? Vegas and Scottsdale, Arizona. And Ooh. it was really, it was really weird flying um, and all yeah. that, but you know, playing music again and like seeing my friends and all of that was amazing. You know, awesome. being in front of people was so great. Having an audience to talk to. I was like, right, yay, right. my friends are back. You know, it was, it was great. It was wonderful. One of the things, by the way, I wanted to let you know, like one of the things that I love about watching you perform is, and I can't wait to do it live, girl. Come to New York, please, please, please. Um, as soon as they, they're hiring. I know, I know. Um, when I go to see a great singer um, or bands, usually singer, because bands tend to, you know, they're, you know, bleh, I just play. Um, I don't usually talk in between songs. You do this lovely, um, really bit of sort of explaining the next song you're gonna sing and, and how it fits into your life. And, and um, it, 
it makes such a huge difference because it's not just like I'm not just going like I could listen to your CD if I just wanted to hear you sing. You know what I mean? And when I go to see you live, I want to hear like how did this song? That's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast, by the way. Like, what did the song mean to you? Like, how did you come upon it? And blah blah blah. You know, um, yeah. it, it makes such a huge difference. By the way, I just need you to know as a performer, like, and I know I'm not the only one to to think this. It makes a huge difference when when a performer, you know, talks in between songs. So, I think so too. You know, I I I, I mean, for me, honestly, I think it's my the part I enjoy more about being on stage and doing a show, it's like making everybody laugh and like joking around on the mic and like doing right. that whole bit. Like I love every minute of that. Like I love entertaining. Awesome. You know what I mean? Every show feels like a party I invited everyone to. You know what I mean? Great. Another great um, quote I should write down, but. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I dig that part of things a whole, whole lot. And I've learned so much about how to be better at it just from, you know, endlessly watching certain friends of mine like for instance like right off the top of my head jim caruso and billy stritch i have learned oh, so much yeah, from yeah, yeah. them yeah about how to be a better entertainer you know yeah, exactly i went to see billy stritch oh gosh years ago at birdland and um my friend jimmy was dating him and <laughs> it was a magical night and and watching him and liza was there of course and yes. watching somebody, you know, like you said, I mean, that man on the piano, holy shit. Oh, the um, greatest. He was with me in Scottsdale. And it oh, was like, really? right. oh. yeah, it was tell, incredible. Tell him that's my high girl. I will. All right. I want to talk to you about, I keep saying this, um, but I really want to talk to you about, um, come on, man. Your new album um and a lot of the stuff that i wrote down i think has already been covered but one thing i want to talk to you about is um I, I i think of you as sort of an actress who sings versus a singer who sings you know because it's really clear to me that you understand there's a lot of work that goes into understanding these songs. And I, and I feel like you're one of the few singers, not just gifted with this like voice from, from God. I mean, honestly, but you, that you understand what you're singing. You do the research you do, you know, was a song from a show and what was the song? What was the context of the song and the show? And how does that affect you know, your interpretation of it. And so I'm not really sure that's a question. I just wanted to let you know <laughs> that that's what I think that you do. All right, so first try. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <We'll go. laughs> I'm talking to Jane Lightnight. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> uh, girl. Um, this is like a gay man's dream. You have no idea. <laughs> um, I believe in you, Frank Lesser. Um, this song to me sounds like the way, so one of the things I love about you is that you take uh, what could be, you know, like a sad song or a wry take and you make it happy, even though it's still kind of wry. And the lyric in this sounds like to me, like somebody 
singing about the guy or girl she's dating uh, in a new relationship, but the lyrics are about somebody, it sounds like somebody that really knows somebody, but they're still really happy mm-hmm. about being with that person, which is sort of like, not that that's not possible, of course, but um, I don't know if this makes any sense, but it sounds like the way you interpret it sounds like, oh, I'm in love, love and he does, has all this, all these qualities and stuff, but the qualities that that the song is about are like really deep shit, you know, like yeah, the way he sees things and the way he, um, again, is that a question? They're impressive qualities, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm pretty sure in the show, doesn't he sing this to himself? I think maybe. Oh, I think so. I think so. I think um, so. But um, honestly, my my favorite version of this tune is Peggy Lee's version, which is you know very similar to mine. It's like a swinging affair. Oh. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just really I love singing that one. It's that one's just straight up fun to sing. Oh, I love that. And um and it's just so uplifting and happy. I just thought it would be a great opener to the record, you know. Well, so that to the back to the question of, of of like order um of tracks. Um I can see this and you know, when I go through the through the all the, the songs in the album, um when a woman loves a man. Um, Johnny Mercer, Bernie Hennigan, and Gordon Jenkins. This lyric to me sums up the whole song. It's such a one-sided game that they play, they meaning men, but women are funny that way. You know, I changed that lyric a little bit on the oh, record. You did? Oh, I no did. Way. <laughs> I changed it to I changed it to the people are funny that way. Mm. That's interesting to hear. So you say yeah, that. I sort of snuck that in, but people are funny that way. Because it, you know, a lot of the a lot of thing, a lot of the, the songs in, in the catalog that you sing, the Great American Songbook, Songbook are are the man that got away. Um they're kind of like sexist, you know, and they're always mm-hmm. written by men and they're sung by women or or men. And so to hear that you change that, that's that just is. to make it to make it feel like a universal mm-hmm. moment right, right because right. it is everybody it falls is. for the wrong Absolutely. person Absolutely. i mean the tune is like super gendered but but it can really i mean it's a universal concept there exactly, exactly. you know what i mean so by just sort of like changing in that changing that one word i was hoping to sort of make that apparent you know that's awesome i'm uh, like another thing that you think about that, that i think is amazing when you do a cover like this um, let's take a walk around the block. So I'm really close to Van Cortlandt Park. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> you know, because I read the lyrics and stuff, and um, we'll send the folks cables, accumulate labels, buy souvenirs till we're in hock. But since we're all flat in Manhattan, let's take a walk around the block. So it's like, <clears throat> to me, the lyric is like, you have this aspiration to, to, to travel the world, but like, let's, you know, like also appreciate where we are. Yeah, let's do what we can. Do what we can. It felt so perfect for the pandemic. Like, listen, Uh, suddenly taking a walk is a big special event. You know what I mean? And like, yes, like I used to go to all those places for work all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like I was always on a plane. I was always doing something that was perceivably glamorous. You know what I mean? And (laughs) even though it normally was not, you know? Right, right. But, um, you know, all of a sudden walking the dog was all we had. You know, so let's take a walk around the block. See, you know, it just seemed like the, and I'd already been singing the tune live for years. I love the tune. Oh, me too. So too. it just seemed like the perfect thing to record. Well, see, you just added another uh, layer to it because I didn't, somehow didn't, you know, factor in the pandemic, but it's exactly locked in to that. Okay, so um, let's face the music and dance. And so to me, it feels like, and I don't know, like, and I know the song, but I don't know, you know, many versions of it, of how people have interpreted it. But it seems kind of a, a sad song, you know, in terms of it's a breakup song, essentially, I think. But you do it this in this really like bubbly kind of jaunty I don't know. arrangement. I no? see, I see it in this way of just, I see it in this I don't like to, you know, curse and stuff when I do interviews. I curse a lot <laughs> in my regular, in real life. Oh my God, I'm the worst. But I, I, this tune, I like the fuck it attitude of it. The le- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thread that I'm singing with. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. You know sense. what I mean? Yeah. The like, the like, you know what, if it all goes to hell, we're, let's have a good time now. Do you know what I mean? Let's. Right, right, right. That makes total you know sense. What I mean? yeah. Let's, yeah. We're going to face the music and we're going to dance. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that should be on, on everyone's, you know, like heart, honestly, especially now. That's so awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so this, this, I'm going to butcher the pronoun- pronunciation of this, like Samba do Avio, Song of the Jet, which is basically a love song to Rio de Janeiro. Like, uh-huh. where did that come from in your- I've in- been there a lot. Oh, you have? Oh, cool. I've been there a lot, yeah. Because there's a real love for jazz in Brazil. Of course.
the nearness of you and my only note, <laughs> which we sort of talked about earlier. And I, all I have is that I said, I want to talk to you about your phrasing. Well, we phrasing is a about. huge thing for me. Like I nerd out on this with my students. Oh, good. Okay, good. Um, you know, my whole deal is like, it's gotta be about the story and it can't be about j just the melody. You know what I mean? The melody is there as a conduit for more storytelling. Do you know what I mean? We're awesome. lucky we yeah. have the melody and we have the lyrics. We have two things to work with here. You know right. what I mean? Right. So I'm really, um, thinking about the lyric in a way, uh, you know, I try to phrase it in a way that's realistic and not completely just glued to the melody but rather mm. how one might speak in real life mm. so um i try to keep the phrasing honest in that regard breathe where a comma might be you know that kind of thing you know on the sunny side of the street that you... medley was from my judy garland show that i used to oh, tour right 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 for, that i toured for a while it celebrated sort of her love of jazz and, uh, you know, I needed another swinger for the record. I needed something upbeat. And uh, I was, you know, just sort of looking back through old arrangements and, and tunes and stuff like that. And I came across it and I was like, oh my God, this is the perfect thing for right now. We haven't played this in ages. This is gonna be, you know, and it was just the perfect thing. It wasn't too serious of a choice. It was just like, what can I fill this space with that'll be uplifting and bright and mm. fun and feel good, nice. you know? Yeah. Nice. In, in two two parts like the first part is for, sort of straightforward yeah and then we switch tempos when we and go then you go happy. like oh yeah. shit like here comes the jazz but like in yep. a really really cool way in that tempo so and, good. yeah so yeah, good it's fun. i mean when you think about it you know all judy when she sang all these tunes man she was swinging them you know, exactly. like she had a lot of jazz values happening there. And I think she could have been a great improviser. Her musicianship was insane. She could have done whatever right. she wanted, you right. know? Right. So yeah, exactly. I always think exactly. about her when I do these tunes. I just need to talk to you about, you know, the gay anthem, the man that got away, dude. Like, first of all, bravo, because <laughs> you gotta be brave as fuck to cover the song. You well, know, after Somewhere you, Over the Rainbow, nothing is scary. Oh, oh, that's another question I had for you earlier. Oh, God. Maybe a part two, Jane? <laughs> um, that you're right. That, but, but this song in particular, um, how is it? Is it daunting to even consider covering such a song? You know, with such a pedigree. You know, I guess it could be. But I never think about songs like that. I always think mm. there's really room for everybody, <laughs> you know? Awesome. Um, you know, a song written by Harold Arlen is meant to be sung five million thousand hundred times. You know what I mean? Right, so right, we right. might as well all have a go at it. And, you know, some of us will have terrible versions and some of us will have awesome versions and some of them will just be okay. And it's fine. I mean, these tunes are really for everyone, you know? Awesome. Awesome. So I try well, to not be afraid of them or possessive over them. You know. Okay, cool. But great. Like, awesome. <laughs> the road gets rougher, gets lonelier and tougher. With hope you burn up. Tomorrow he may turn up. There's just no letter. The live long night and day.
Okay, so I texted you earlier and I'm embarrassed now because I was, you know, deep in in song analysis and stuff. So, but I but I the last thing I want to talk about talk to you about is the last track on the album, My Funny Valentine. So mm-hmm. um you you do the first verse that hardly anybody ever does. And in fact, I'd never heard it before. And um behold the way our fine feathered friends his virtue doth braid and it goes on and in reading that and then reading the the rest of the lyric that everyone knows it like <laughs> i'm so embarrassed i like texted you is this about a woman singing about a bird that she's in love with <laughs> um i swear to god dude i swear i'm so embarrassed but but i think Okay, let me tell you what I think it's about, and I, I I need to know what you think it's about. So, it's all in the third person, right? And so I feel like this woman or man, and there's a bird in the tree, and she's sort of like, you know, sort of talking to the bird, but not really like, you know, this guy with a tousled hair and the the vacant brow and the you know, uh, blah, 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 dopey gent. Um, I guess I guess the person is talking about the another person in the courtyard they're in love with, and you know, his looks are laughable. Um, blah blah blah. What what is the song about? Because I thought I knew what the song was about until today. Please enlighten. You know, I heard somewhere, and who knows if this is true? This is just one of those like urban legends. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I heard somewhere that uh, Lorenz Hart wrote that lyric to himself, but I, I don't know I, if that's true. I have no idea. I mean, it's from Pal Joey, right? Um, you know, but the song has such a huge life outside of that. You know, I think there's more to interpret there, but clearly it's about, you know, someone who is too stupid to know what they have. Or, you know, that's sort of the, you know, stay little Valentine's Day. It's like the, right, the person right. who is so loved maybe is, doesn't even realize it. Or, you know, I don't know. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I don't know. I mean, I think it, it's, this song, it's like over the rainbow. It has a life of its own. It's completely up to the listener now. You know? Right. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Virtue doth parade 
knowest not, my dim-witted friend, the picture thou hast made. Thy vacant brow and thy tousled hair conceal thy good intent. Noble, upright, truthful, sincere, and slightly do. All right, last part. Quickly, <laughs> I know it's been talking for a while. Um, <laughs> this is Ask Jane. So I texted my gay friends or my friends. Um, my friend Forrest, who's also a singer songwriter and a brilliant visual artist, asks, "Censure." Since you began your career, just as the music industry started to change from physical media and big record labels to digital and streaming, how has that impacted your career positively or negatively? Um, streaming, uh, music streaming uh, really doesn't impact artists' careers positively in any way, shape or form. Oh, yeah. it, it doesn't. I mean, everyone will be like, oh, but exposure. I was like, well, there were ways to get exposure before, and there there are always ways to get exposure, but, right. but it's but we don't need to have our music taken from us right, right. to get exposure. So streaming has been a negative thing. I mean, we sell way less records now, right? Way less. Right. Um, what would be nice is if we could sell like uh, on one of my releases on the Ella record, I tried selling download cards, but mm. no one they didn't sell. Everyone would just rather stream the record than actually pay for it and download it and support mm. the artist. You know what I mean? But, um, right. you know, it's a tough one. We we do still have a market for CDs and jazz and cabaret and theater because we have a lot of older listeners with older technology. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm happy about that. But uh, yeah, the streaming is, if, if artists were compensated properly, it'd be one thing, but we're not. Right. I think, I think we all knew the answer to that, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Things um, change. I mean, they'll change again. There will be something better on the horizon. 
my friend Arlen, who's like a huge music, uh, he's like a music library. You know, this guy is really, really smart and knows everything. He asks, what song was a real challenge to learn and why? Hmm. Well, for me, um, if there's a, if there's a challenge, it's always the lyrics. I have a mm. terrible time. My memory is just terrible. I always have a music stand on stage with me mm. uh, to read, um, never arrangements. It's always, it's always the lyrics. Um, I can, I can remember the music, but I cannot remember words. And I've never been able to, since I was a little kid, I remember getting like, you know, when I was in high school, we had like the choir awards at the end of the year <laughs> and I was given like a special award because I always forgot the words, like literally <laughs> the pain of my existence. But so probably one of the hardest ones to learn was Waters of March, which Ooh. is just this huge long list of things. And I only can sing it by muscle memory. I have to sort of like disconnect from it a little bit and think about something else, like focus on the groove or something mm. like that and let the lyrics just happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a stick, a stone, sick end of the road. Who is it? Stuck, it's linen alone. It's slaver, a glass, it is life. It's the sun, it is night, it is death. It's a trip, it's a gun. The oak when it blows, a fox in the brush, a gnat in the wood, the song of a thrush. The wood of the wind, a clever fall, a scratch of life. It is nothing at all, it's the wind blowing free. It's the end of a song. I guess last question is, um, as fewer people cover the American Songbook, how, how have you been able to really successfully sort of keep that alive? There's not many people that do what you do. Um, how, how do you do that? It's just something that you love to do and that's what I'm gonna do and it works and you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not sure what the uh, <laughs> what the magic formula has been. I think I had a good start at a good time. I think the timing right, right, was right. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? There were jazz right. singers were huge. You know, when my first record came out, like people like Diana Krall were, you know, yeah, getting all kinds of you know attention and were household names, and so it was timing. And then I was just sort of able to maintain it. You know what I mean? Nice. Um, on like a lower level. Um, and I feel really lucky. I, you know, I, I never, you know, I, I, I'm always very, very grateful. You know, I try to be aware of that all the time. I, yeah. I somehow I knew that. About you. <laughs> um, no, seriously, because, you know, you, you sort of emote that. And let me just, let me just close by saying, um, um, we, the public that, that adore you and know your music are grateful that you're grateful for doing what you do because it makes a difference in millions of lives. And so oh, thank you, thank Jane you. Monheit. Oh my God, I'm interviewing Jane Monheit. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Seriously. It's so great. Seriously, thank you for, for spending time and, um, and doing this.